Hello, and welcome to another episode of Whole and Complete Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Shantae, and welcome back to season two. So we are currently in the Living a Whole and Complete Life series. So if you are brand new to this podcast, let me just give you a few disclaimers. One of those disclaimers is that this is a series-based podcast. And that means that every topic has its own series. And so this is part two of a series. So if you are just now hearing this, then I encourage you to go back and listen to part one of this series so that you'll be all caught up and have all of the context for our episode today. And as we always do, we have a guiding scripture for this episode. And it comes out of one of my very favoritest books of the Bible, which is Ezekiel. And actually, this is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. So Ezekiel chapter 37, verses four through six. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath into you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. So why am I talking about dry bones and revitalization? Because today we are going to be talking about the other side of whole and complete living, which is failure. Dun, dun, dun. So we're going to be talking about failure, epic fails of the Bible and how failure impacts the future. So let's get into it. As we are wont to do in this podcast, let's start with some definitions. Failure is defined as a lack of success, a deficiency, the action or state of not functioning. I want to repeat that. Definition of failure is a lack of success, a deficiency, the action or state of not functioning. So in the last episode, I provided a framework for what it means to live a whole and complete life. So to recap that whole and complete living is fueled by our beliefs and our beliefs impact what we think and feel and do. And there are subheadings underneath that, but you can go and listen to that episode And you can go to my website, readytobelieve.com so that you can see that nifty diagram that I created uh, to kind of visually explain what I meant by that. So our beliefs impact what we think, what we feel, what we do. And sometimes our beliefs lead us to think, feel, and do things that produce undesirable outcomes, aka failures. So why would I bring this up? You know, shouldn't I be pushing positivity Well, (laughs) the truth is that any whole, W-H-O-L-E, is made up of several parts. And one of the parts of whole living is the inevitability of failure. You are not always going to get it right. You are not always going to hit the mark. You are not always going to live up to expectations. You are not always going to do your best work or execute at a high level or keep your promises or show up when people need you to deliver. Sometimes failure comes in the form of relationships or it comes in the form of finances. Sometimes failure comes in the form of denied applications that you didn't get the job or the loan or the scholarship or the opportunity to advance. Sometimes it comes when we step on the scale and see that we have not been consistent with our exercise and nutritional regimen. Sometimes failure comes in the form of overwhelm when we have overpromised and underdelivered. Sometimes failure comes when we have mismanaged our time and realize that we just will not be able to do all the things that we have planned. 
And this is important. This is very important because the key to whole and complete living is not the inevitable failure, but what you're going to do afterwards. I'll repeat that. This is important because the key to whole and complete living is not the inevitable failure, but what you're going to do afterwards. And we will get to that towards the end of the episode. So many of us participate in the public spheres of life. So whether it's work or school or social media, there is something about failure that causes us to go into hiding. There is something about failure that causes us to go silent. There is something about failure that causes us to all but disappear from the public spheres of life because we've been conditioned to show up during the highlights and the victory dances, but to completely disappear during the struggles and the letdowns. So more times than not, we arrive at failure through one of the following reasons. So here are my my three reasons for how we tend to arrive at failure. Number one, direct disobedience. We know what we were supposed to do and we just chose not to do it. So, you know, you ate the cake anime. (laughs) You knew what those carbs and sugar were going to do to that waistline and you were just like, whatever, I'm eating the cake. So there you have it. Direct disobedience. You know what you were supposed to do and you just chose not to do it. Number two, you took a gamble. You didn't plan well. You did not count the cost. You didn't think it through. You just rolled the dice and hoped for the best. Or number three, you rationalized. You saw the red flags and instead of addressing them, you took the path of denial and chose not to be completely honest with yourself about the nature of your circumstances. So typically when we arrive at failure, more times than not, we arrive through one of those three channels, direct disobedience, taking a gamble because we didn't count the costs and think it through, or we rationalize. So we saw red flags, but instead of addressing them, we decided to take the path of denial and we ended up in a situation that was less than ideal. Which brings us to epic fails of the Bible. Here's what I appreciate about the life and times in which we now live. There is nothing new under the sun. The Bible literally says that, that there is nothing new under the sun. And so the good news is, is that because the Bible is readily available to us via technology, it's readily available to us in so many means and forms and ways that we can learn lessons from people who have made mistakes and try our best not to replicate them. So let's start with Adam, okay? The first man that God made and entrusted in the Garden of Eden. God specifically said, you can eat from any other tree in this garden. And so what did he do? He ate from the trees. (laughs) So that was a, a direct disobedience, okay? He failed to take responsibility. And as a consequence, their sin, that sin, ushered sin into the world, okay? So that one sin ushered sin into the world for the entirety of mankind, okay? It it literally was the fall of man, okay? So from that one incident, it had repercussions that last even till today. Then there's David, King David. So David loved God. The Bible uh, describes David as a man after God's own heart. And yet he murdered Uriah the Hittite after he got his wife Bathsheba pregnant. So this is an example of the gamble. Okay, so he gambled. He saw a good looking woman. He was like, I'm the king, you know, bring her over here. Had his way with her. And then he didn't think it through. He wasn't planning on a baby to come out of all of that. And in an attempt to cover it up, he had Uriah come home and like, hey, why don't you sleep with your wife? And Uriah was like, I cannot do this. 
I'm I'm a soldier in the army. And so he put Uriah on the front lines so that he would ultimately get murdered. And that's how they tried to cover it up. This is also a perfect example of how people that have more than you can still hate on you because they don't have what you have. I'm gonna repeat that. This is a perfect example of how people that have more than you, David is the king, the king, K-I-N-G, okay? Servants, riches, kingdom, palaces, the whole nine yards and concubines, wives and concubines. And out of all that he has, he decides to go after the one thing he doesn't have. So taking something that somebody else has when he has the world at his fingertips, okay? So people can still have more than you and and hate on you. And you can read all about that tragic tale of woe in 2 Samuel uh, chapters 11 and 12. Then there is dear old Samson. Oh, Samson. Samson was a very strong man, but he had a weakness for beautiful women. Not only just beautiful women, foreign women. He didn't he didn't rock with none of the girls from the local village. He liked foreign women. He liked exotic women. He liked women that were outside of his culture. And as a result of that weakness, I know this sounds like every episode of like, you know, power or some other failed kingdom because they fell in love with the wrong person. But that's exactly what he did. So his trust in Delilah, despite clear red flags that she was shady business, led to his capture and bondage and the loss of his strength and his eyesight. He rationalized it. Okay, so he knew what she was trying to do, but he rationalized it because of his feelings for her. And in the end, he committed suicide as he brought down this building that he was chained to, killing himself and his oppressors. And you can read about Samson's tale of woe in Judges chapter 16. Then there is King Ahab. So if you go through the book of First and Second Kings, which honestly are like some of the best man, that's some good stuff. I'm a, I used to snub the Old Testament until I really read it and got into it. The Old Testament is hot. It is hot. Okay, and First and Second Kings is, as well as First uh, and Second Chronicles, is basically a chronology and a breakdown of all the kings of Israel and Judah and the good kings and the bad kings. And King Ahab was a bad king. He let his wife turn him away from the teachings of God, of Yahweh, and instead started worshiping false gods and idols. And I feel obligated, I feel compelled to take a side note here. So when I say worshiping false gods and idols, I want to be clear on what the biblical definition of worship is. Okay, so to worship is to give reverence and adoration, to honor and to hold in high esteem. I'll repeat that. To worship is to give reverence and adoration, to honor and to hold in high esteem. So some of us might need to re-examine how we feel about things like money and education and fame and celebrity. So I'm going to leave that right there and get back on the main road. So King Ahab was married to Jezebel, which was, oof, she's a whole other story for like a whole other podcast. But Jezebel turned him away from the teachings of God. He started worshiping false, uh, false gods and idols. And as a result, God sent a famine and a drought to the people. And you can find all that out in first Kings chapter 17 through 22. Then there was Saul. So I could have easily put the children of Israel on here. Um, their infractions were many. Okay. Their, their infractions were many. They were like what I call the biblical babies kids. 
And we just don't have time in the podcast to go through all the things that they did wrong and in all the ways that they failed. But one of the things that they did and demanded was they decided that God's provision for them and of them. So even though God had brought them out of Egypt and liberated them from slavery and the whole nine yards, they decided that God was not good enough for them. They wanted a king like all the other nations. And so God gave them a king. Side note, sometimes God will give you what you ask for just to let you know that that's not what you really wanted. Back on the main road. So the first king that God gave them that God anointed as king was Saul. So the first king of Israel Saul was anointed and all was going well until God commanded him to destroy the Amalekites. This was payback from some infractions that the Amalekites had did as the children of Israel were trying to flee from bondage and slavery. And so finally, you know, the bill comes due. So God told Saul, go and destroy the Amalekites, all the people, all the animals, all the goods, like burn it to the ground. And Saul decided that he would do that and or accept that he would keep some of the cattle and some of the best stuff instead of destroying it like God said. He rationalized it. He was like, well, you know, we was going to uh, we was going to put these in the treasury. We was going to put these up as like, you know, burnt offerings and, and sacrifices. And. God was not trying to hear that at all. He said, I told you to do A, B, and C, and you decided you was going to do A, B, and F. And the lesson here is that partial obedience is still disobedience. I'm going to repeat that. Partial obedience is still disobedience. So when Samuel confronted him, Samuel was the prophet at that time. Saul tried to lie about it and God snatched the kingdom from him. So you can read all about Saul's tale of woe in 1 Samuel chapter 15. So how does this impact our future? Here's the deal. All of us have failed in some capacity similar to what I just described. Now, granted, it may not have been on the scale, you know, so when Adam messed up, it impacted the entirety of mankind. And then when Ahab messed up, then people, the people of, of Israel, you know, had to suffer for it. And then, you know, when Samson, so, you know, it may not be at the scale to where it ripples across generations, but in a similar capacity, in terms of our thinking, all of us have failed in a capacity similar to what I just described from these epic fails of the Bible. But as I said, in the beginning of the episode, it's what you do after you fail, that indicates whether or not you are living a whole and complete life. So let's start with what not to do. Number one, shift the blame. This is what Adam did. So if you go back and read in Genesis three, when God confronted him in the garden, the first words out of Adam's mouth was, well, see this woman you gave me. Like Adam was like the first person to throw somebody straight under the bus. He was like, see Eve, um, what had happened was, so do not shift the blame, okay? If you mess up, do not try to pivot from that and deflect and throw it off to somebody else. Also, what you should not do is try to hide it. As the old folks say, you might get by, but you won't get away. If it don't come out in the wash, it will come out in the rinse. Your sin will find you out. You can find this in Numbers 32, 23, and what's done in the dark will come to the light. So if you fail, if you mess up, 
don't try to hide it. Don't try to obscure it. Just no. Okay. Don't do that. Also, do not internalize. So one failure does not determine your fate. And this is really important because a lot of times when we fail, especially if it's something epic or something significant, we start to internalize and that failure becomes synonymous with who we are. So one bad relationship does not mean that you suck at relationships. One bad grade doesn't mean that you're not college material. So when you allow failure to become synonymous with who you are, that runs counter to everything that God says about you in the Bible. And lastly, what you should not do is not compound the issue. So it's okay to feel disappointed, to be mad, disgusted. Remember, living a whole and complete life is recognizing that these feelings and these emotions have value, but it's what you do with those feelings that matters. So this is not the time to grab that bottle of Mad Dog 2020, you know, sliding down the pity pole or doing something that you know you will regret later. What you should do is, number one, own it. So David, in the midst of all, King David, in the midst of all of that foolishness with Uriah and Bathsheba and and all of that, in Psalms 51, that whole Psalm is him pouring his heart out about that situation. So he pours his heart out to God and owns what he's done and God restores him. Now, did he have consequences to pay? Oh, you betcha. He absolutely did. And sometimes we try to dodge that part. We say, you know, Lord, if you forgive me, have mercy on me. And we think that there are not going to be consequences. There's the bill always comes due. It does. And I, I say that not from a, a preachy, churchy, judgy perspective, but from the perspective that if you believe in karma, if you believe in sowing and reaping, the bill always comes due. You can choose the sin or the whatever, but you can never choose the consequences. That's 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 the the rub. OK, that's the part. So the bill definitely came due for David, even though he owned it and turned it around and repented. But. Uh, the Bible said that God told him the sword will never leave your house. And if you read, oh my goodness, about all of the infractions and the things that went on between David and his wives and his kids, oh, it was bad. Okay. It was bad. Number two, you should make amends. So do not allow pride or shame to keep you from reaching out with sincerity and extending an apology to somebody if necessary. So if you're going to own it, Part of owning it is asking yourself, did somebody get hurt or did somebody was disenfranchised by my actions? And so if you find that the answer is yes, then you should make amends. Then you need to reach out to that person with sincerity and extend an apology or restitution or can I make this up? You know, whatever. But you should absolutely do that. Number three, you should retrace your steps and re-examine the conditions that led to this outcome. What could be done differently? This is what we call metacognition. When you are thinking about your thinking, this is how therapists make their money. Okay, This right here is the bread and butter of therapy. It's when you take a look at a situation and then you walk it back. And you start thinking like, what was I thinking during that time? Who was I with during that time? What were the conditions that led to this outcome at that time? And as you do that, then you start to ruminate and think about what could I be doing differently? Or what can be learned from this situation? Or what type of boundaries do I need to set? And, and all that good stuff. So retracing your steps is definitely a good idea after a failure. And then four, you should pray about it. 
sometimes we try to execute when it's not our season and that's why it fails. So this happens when we get a glimpse or a peek at what God has for us. He's dropped a vision in our spirit or this really great idea. And then we try to expedite the process, but we need to learn to wait for our season. There's this uh, children's story called why the butterfly died. And it was about this little kid and he saw the butterfly hatching. And then, you know, he tried to, you know, help the butterfly along because he was so excited. And then the butterfly died. And so he's crying, he's distraught. And he's like, oh my God, why did this happen? And so, you know, his dad comes along and says, you know, when the butterfly comes out of the cocoon, the only way that he can strengthen its wings is by beating them against the cocoon. It beats against the cocoon so its muscles will grow strong. When you helped it, you prevented it from developing the muscles it would need to survive. This is critical. This is key. God is always developing you for something, for some purpose. Okay, so whatever you are contending with right now, whatever is not happening right now, it is developing you for a later purpose, for a higher purpose. And I understand this because sometimes when failure comes or dry seasons come or the bankruptcies come or whatever comes, we start to really question and doubt and say, you know, Lord, I thought you were on my side. Like, where is this coming from? And we really start to get discouraged and really start to question who God is and, and what God is to us, etc. which brings us back to our guiding scripture. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them. So prophesy means speak into their future. Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath into you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. Translation, you might be down, but you are not out. So Ezekiel, that whole book is essentially about the disobedience of the children of Israel, as I said, you know, the original Bebe's kids. So the children of Israel, their disobedience, they're turning their back on God and, and all of that. And as they are suffering the consequences or experiencing the fruit of their failure, they are so downtrodden and so discouraged and just wondering if there's ever going to be a light at the end of the tunnel. And let me just tell you that this chapter, these verses is just an example of how good God is. When they say in the church, God is good all the time. God is good all the time. He is good. That's not what he's feeling like. That's who he is. He's good all the time. What is God? God is good. God is love. He is that he is, meaning he is limitless. He's not a resource. He is the source. He is our all in all. So God is good, meaning that when the children of Israel disobeyed, okay, so when his people turned their backs on him 
and as a natural consequence of their actions, were experiencing the suffering and the bondage that comes along with being disobedient. Even in their disobedience and in their grief and in their sorrow and in their lamentation and their experiencing justice for what they rightly deserved based on what they did to him, God sends a prophet to say, speak to them and say this to them. I will make breath into you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. So even in the midst of your suffering, especially if these are self-inflicted wounds, God sends a prophet to say, you are down, but you are not out. The failure is not final, that you are going to be restored, that I'm going to bring you back. And so I'm going to send somebody to speak life into you so that you are not sitting there in your valley of dry bones thinking that all is lost, that all is over, that it's never coming back. And this is so apropos for 2020 because, baby... I ain't never seen a valley of dry bones like I've seen during this pandemic. People have lost their jobs. People have lost their homes. People have lost their hope. People have lost their faith. People have lost their income. People have lost their loved ones. And so, so many people right now are in the valley of dry bones and wondering what, if any good could ever come of this? Is this how it's always going to be? We're in the third wave of this pandemic and it just doesn't seem like there's any end in sight. And I want to say to you, this is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath into you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. Translation, you might be down in 2020, but you are not out. Okay, God is a God of restoration and reconciliation. When you take a step back and you look at the Bible in its totality, it is a love story. It is a love story between God and his church, between God and and his bride. And even though the bride is unfaithful, even though the bride is trifling, even though in many ways the bride is acting like trash, at the end of the story, God goes out of his way. He breaks heaven's treasure to redeem the bride back to him. And so wherever you are is not where you're going to be. And you need to hold on to where you're going to be because whatever failures or disappointments or disappointed hopes have come as a result of everything that's going on in the world, I just want to encourage you and tell you that all is not lost, that these dry bones will live again. You will come back from this, I assure you. And so that is where I will leave you for this episode. Usually in part three, for those of you who are new to this podcast, I invite a guest to come and walk through uh, the elements of the topic that we've just discussed, which is exactly what I will be doing for next week. So please join me for part three in the finale of this series. And if you have any questions, comments, takeaways, hit me up at Dr. Shante Says, holla at your girl, and I will see you next time.